And Isaiah 39, we're going to read the entire chapter here as we begin, and then um, we'll uh, review and then get right into it. Verse 1 says, At that time, at Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and uh, showed them the house of the precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and the houses of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. Uh, there was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house... And that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, uh, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of King Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days." The title of the Bible study, again, is The Many Tactics of Satan. Let's pray. God, help us tonight to have um, eyes and ears that uh, see and uh, understand. Lord, give us discernment. Lord, uh, Jesus would often say, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. God, oftentimes we come to church, and the message will go in one ear and out the other. And Lord, it does not make its way down into our heart. And so, Lord, help us not to be guilty of that tonight. Give us hearts that discern and take from it. Lord, help us to have our guard up and be aware that Satan is on the prowl, seeking to devour us or deceive us. And so, Lord, help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, quick recap here. Uh, 38 and 39 happened before 36 and 37. In fact, if you look at your Bible and it has timeline Uh, markings in your Bible, you will see uh, that 38 and 39 took place in 712 and 713 B.C. 37 and 38 took place in 710 B.C. And remember that we are counting down to the years uh, which Jesus was born. So uh, 713 years removed, down towards 710 years removed. And so Assyria has not yet descended upon the city, uh, but they are threatening Uh, They are challenging. They are overtaking the uh, ten northern tribes. They are getting ready to come in and take over Judah, all except Jerusalem. And Hezekiah has gotten sick. He's gotten sick to the point where he's going to die. Okay, And uh, God gives him 15 more years of life. We covered that here in great detail. After God gives him 15 more years of life, the Bible tells us he was lifted up in pride. And in his pride, he had folks come from the nation of Babylon. Ambassadors come. Diplomats come from Babylon. And uh, Babylon was not a large country at this time. Babylon was just a little country without any real influence uh, on the world scene. And they come with letters and a gift. And these letters are meant to comfort Hezekiah from his time of sickness. And Hezekiah opens up 
his home, and he shows these diplomats, uh, these ambassadors, he shows them everything. I mean everything. He shows them all of the gold and the silver and the precious ointments and all of his wealth. He takes them through his own house. He takes them through the temple uh, as far as he could. He shows them all he can, and then off they go to go home. Well, as they're leaving the courtyard of the palace, in comes Isaiah, and they must have passed each other. And so Isaiah walks into the throne room of Hezekiah, and he says, hey, who are those guys? And he says, oh, well, they're from Babylon. And he said, well, what did you show them? He said, well, I showed them everything. Everything there is to see, they saw it. All of my wealth, they saw it. And and Isaiah looks at him and says, there's going to come a day where everything that you showed them, Babylon is going to rise up. They're going to overtake this country. They're going to take every part of that wealth that you and uh, the kings before you laid up. And they're going to carry your children away into Babylon. And they're going to turn them into eunuchs. That means they're going to castrate them. So they cannot have babies. And they're going to serve in the palace. Now this is the first time that we know of in Scripture that anyone predicted specifically that Babylon would be the country that would carry Israel into captivity. And this prophecy came a little more than a hundred years before it actually came to pass. Uh, To give you an equivalent uh, to today's time, that would be like a preacher walking into the White House, walking into the Oval Office, and making a bold prediction about a little-known country or a very weak country on the national stage that would rise up and conquer the U.S. 100 years from now, and then that actually happening and taking place. Listen, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, politically, right? How many of you ever turn on the news and go, what? That's actually happening, much less 100 years from now. And so that by itself is amazing. And the, histor- the, uh, the, the historicity of the book of Isaiah has been proven. So that's the background of um, the chapter. Now, let's get into what we've, what we've covered as far as uh, the message, and, and, and we'll help it come to light. Now, in this passage, we find Satan at work. I'm going to show that to you in great detail in just a moment. But before I do, let me talk to you a little bit about Satan. This is a review from last week. We said that Scripture describes Satan a handful of ways. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, the Bible says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So Lucifer is an angel of light. Now notice that this is very important. Satan does not have a form or a body. Satan is a spirit. He is a spirit. When he was in heaven, that spirit uh, was uh, inside of an angel of light. But when he was thrown out of heaven, he had the ability to leave the angel of light, Lucifer, behind and rather move his spirit into a serpent. And so we see that secondly, Satan is described in Scripture as being a serpent or a subtle beast of the field. Now, notice that in heaven, he took on the appearance of an angel, but on earth in Genesis 3, he took on the appearance of a serpent. And so, he is a serpent. He is a subtle beast of the field. He slithered up to Eve, and he very carefully and subtly convinced her uh, to eat a piece of fruit she was forbidden to eat, and throw away the 
perfect environment that she had. But not only does the Bible describe Satan as a, an angel of light and a subtle beast of the field, it also describes him in 1 Peter 5.8 as a lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So he is a lion. He's a, he's a angel of light. He's a subtle beast of the field. He's a lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So notice that the Bible describes this spirit of Satan as three in three different forms. And there's more, but those three are the ones we looked at. Next notice, we looked at Satan's behavior. We said the Bible describes him as the tempter. He is the tempter. Matthew 4, verse 1 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Verse 3 says, And when the tempter, the tempter, that's a descriptor, that's a descriptor of his behavior, when the tempter came to him. So uh, if you're ever tempted to do wrong, it is not Jesus who tempts man. James tells us it is Satan who tempts man. Number two, we said he is a deceiver. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. So Satan is not only a tempter, he deceives. He deceives. He wants you looking one way while he's over here doing something else. I like to watch magic tricks. And uh, there was a kid who would work in our, Brother Tom was his name. He would work in our children's ministry when I was a little boy. And, and he had a couple of coin tricks he could do. He could make a coin disappear right out of thin air. I would sit there and I'd be mesmerized by that. He could also take his thumb off. And how many of you know how to take your thumb off? So um, I, when you're five years old, eight years old, that is, how do you do that? And so, um, uh, but, but listen, Satan likes to do that. He wants to mesmerize you with the world all along. He's deceiving you all along. He's leading you in the wrong direction. He is the king of deception. But the Bible also describes him as the father of lies. John 8, 44, Jesus is reprimanding the Pharisees and he says in the end of the verse, for he, speaking of Satan, is a liar and the father of it. He is the father of lies. Um, we said, uh, number four, he is the destroyer of life. John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Satan comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your life, not only physically but eternally, by taking you to hell. And if he cannot take you to hell, then he will destroy your body uh, by tempting you to do sin and to defraud yourself and all of those things. So these are Satan's behaviors. We laid the background last week by laying out how he's described in Scripture and his behavior. And then we jumped into verse number one. And we said, uh, and the blanks are filled in there for you, but number one, we said Babylon's plot. Look at verse number one of Isaiah chapter number 39. Again, we're moving quickly, but I just want to make sure before we get into new material, everyone understands what we covered. All right. For some of you, it's a reminder. Others of you weren't here last week. Look at verse number one. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, look here, king of Babylon, sent letters and presented to Hezekiah. You say, well, where is Satan seen in this passage? Let me show you. Turn back over to Isaiah chapter 14. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. Quickly, quickly, quickly. We've got a lot to cover. Isaiah 14 and look at verse number 4. The Bible says, there it says, that, 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 uh, that thou shalt take up this proverb, look here, against the king of Babylon. Against the king of Babylon. Now, Isaiah 14 was only written a handful of years prior to Isaiah 39. And again, when 
uh, Isaiah wrote this, Babylon was a little nothing country on the world scene. Who is the king of Babylon? Well, uh, you can read the verses on your own later, but look down at verse 12. Let's skip ahead. And the name of the king of Babylon is given. Look at verse 12, Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Now go back to Isaiah chapter number 39 and look at verse number 1. Who is it that comes who is it that sends uh, uh, ambassadors, diplomats, to visit Hezekiah right after he was healed and given 15 years of life? Verse 39 says it was the king of Babylon who sent letters. It was the king of Babylon. Now you say, well, Pastor, Isaiah 14 is speaking of a metaphorical king of Babylon. Isaiah 39 is speaking of the literal king of Babylon. There's a reason why Babylon was chosen. There is a reason uh, here, and it is that this was a test of the devil. There is a plot going on here. We said letter A, we're talking about the Babylonian diplomats. We talked about their sympathy. And here's what we did. We went back and we saw how they sent letters and gifts uh, to Hezekiah uh, uh, to, to um, uh, encourage him in his sickness. And then we went to Genesis 3 and we saw how that Satan slithered up to Eve in the form of a serpent and he tempted her to do wrong. And then I made this statement. I said, if Satan, I believe this will be on the screen, if Satan cannot devour you as a roaring lion then he will deceive you as a subtle serpent. We have this view of the devil that he's just looking to just jump on us and eat us. But the reality is that Satan knows you got your guard up. If he can't get you as a roaring lion destroying your life, he'll come along and he will deceive you as a slippery serpent. Now, um, he could not get... Hezekiah with the Assyrian army because that pushed him to God. And he couldn't get Hezekiah with sickness because he rolled over in his bed and he turned to God. But he got him here. He didn't get him as a roaring lion with uh, Rabshakeh standing outside the wall breathing threats as a roaring lion. But boy, he sure did get him with the subtle serpent. He slithered in in the form of sympathy and he got him. And I said this last week, our teenagers are being uh, roped up and, and recruited in the groves because Satan is slithering up to them and using people who are living deep, deep, deep sinful lifestyles and he slithers up to them in the form of sympathy. No one at church understands you, but I understand you and I can help you and I can work with you and I can love you and your parents don't get you, but I get you and I know where you're coming from and Satan, where he can't devour as a roaring lion, he'll slither up in the form of sympathy and he'll bite someone with his venom and he'll ruin their life. Letter B, we said that these, uh, these Babylonian diplomats, that they were spies. They're spies. Look at verse number 2, Isaiah 39. The Bible says, And Hezekiah was glad of them, and shoot or showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and the house of his armor and all that was found in, in his treasure. Uh, it goes on to say, There was nothing in the house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. 
listen, uh, sometimes Satan will slither up in the form of sympathy and he'll send someone along your path who will pull you in a direction that's opposed to God and what will happen is we'll open up our heart and we'll share with them everything going on in our life and we will just let them, we'll take the bait. And the next thing you know, we have Satan's hook in our uh, a proverbial jaw and he's pulling us away into a life of sin and it is a Trojan Horse. Everybody here understand what a Trojan horse is? You get it inside the gate, the spies are inside, the horse comes open in the middle of the night, and the next thing you know, you're being invaded by the devil, by the enemy. And so we see uh, Babylon's plot. Then we looked at number two. We looked at Hezekiah's pride. Turn, turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 32 again, real quick, because this is vital to understanding the passage. Um, Isaiah 39 gives us, Part of the story, Second Chronicles, um, uh, 30, uh, let, me, let me say that again. Isaiah 39 gives us the historical facts of the story. Second Chronicles 32 gives us the emotion of the same story. So to properly understand Isaiah 39, we need to also understand Second Chronicles 32. So please, if you can, turn over there for me. And let's look at verse number 24. And uh, we're going to read down, uh, we may not read the whole passage, we're going to read a handful of verses down through verse number 31. Look, look at there, verse 24. The Bible says, In those days Hezekiah was sick to death, and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. And that was the sun uh, uh, regressing by 10 degrees. We looked at that. Verse 25, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. Look here, for his heart, here's the, here's the sin, his heart was lifted up. Therefore... There was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. We see his pride. All right? And then much of the next several verses go on and tell us the same thing Isaiah 39 does. Uh, look at verse number uh, 27. And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he made himself treasures for silver and for gold and, and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and, and, and all manner of, of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Look down at verse 30. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon, Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David. And so now he's created a water source within the city. Hezekiah prospered in all his works. Look at verse 31, how be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in his land, God left him to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. God left him to try him. Did God abandon Hezekiah in this passage? No. God backed away to see if Hezekiah would behave himself. And I said last week, sometimes as a mom or dad, you give your child something and you back away and you watch to see where their character is. That's what happened here. Hezekiah was lifted up in his pride, verse 30, 24 tells us. And in verse 31, the ambassadors that came in from Satan himself were there to test Hezekiah. And Hezekiah failed the test. Letter A, we see his vulnerability. His vulnerability. This goes back to that concept. If Satan can't devour you as a lion, he'll, he'll come in and get you as a slippery servant. He will deceive you as a subtle servant. We said that he was vulnerable. Verse 31 says, In the business of the ambassadors, the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in his land, God left him to try him. Listen, we know that he had just gotten over several crises. 
we said there were three crises that he overcame. He overcame an invasion crisis or dealt with an invasion crisis in just a three-year period, an illness crisis, and in this chapter he's facing an investigation crisis. And you know what? It's in, and I really hope you're hearing what I'm saying right now because someone needs this uh, vitally. It's when you face hardships that Satan will slither up as a serpent and he will get you. You're more vulnerable then than any other time. You're going through emotional struggles. You're going through retirement. You're going through empty house um, syndrome where your kids are growing up and leaving. You're going through hardships with teenagers. You're going through a rebellious stage. You're going through a job change. You're going through financial struggles. Whatever it is, in these times of crisis, you can bank on it. Satan is going to be there in one form or another to try to get you. You can't let him. That's when God's going to back away and say, is his heart perfect? Is her heart perfect or complete before me, or is it not? And a lot of folks fail these tests. God backed away, and in his pride, he was vulnerable. Listen, in times of crises, we're all vulnerable. What do you do during crises? Can I tell you what a lot of people do? They self-isolate. They stay home from church. They back away from the pastor. They back away from a man in the church trying to help them. They back away from a sister in Christ. And I've got this on my own and, and I can't talk right now. And, and, and I'll talk to you later and, and let me be. And i got to say this, when you are going through a crisis, don't run from the people of God and don't run from the house of God and don't run from the presence of God. No, I know your flesh does not want that, but you run into the house of God. You run to the people of God and you exist in the presence of God. And you cocoon yourself in these things to make sure that Satan can't get you. Satan can't get you. Because a lot of times, Satan does get us. Oh, I've seen so many people who have a hardship in their life and they're faithful to church. And the next thing you know, you haven't seen them for two months. You know what? Satan is feasting on them. God put it this way. Jesus put it this way to Peter. He said, Satan hath desired that he may sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou hast strengthened thyself, encourage thy brethren. And you know what? Satan is sifting you during a crisis. That means he's trying to beat you. All right? When Satan is beating on you, it's not the time to isolate. It's the time to do the very opposite. His, his vulnerability, we said letter B, I'm not going to spend any time on this one, we said his vanity. And uh, notice that he took them and showed them all of his wealth, right? Uh, he had hung his identity on his wealth. Look at all the silver and gold. And we just saw out of Second Chronicles how that he had accumulated all this wealth and he was showing that off to these ambassadors from Babylon. Then we said letter C, and I want to hit this one quickly before we get into new material. We said his vindication. Go back to Isaiah 39. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came thee unto thee? Look at verse 3. Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. It's really funny that when a preacher or the Holy Spirit or your wife in the form of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, uh, come and they start confronting you and sticking a finger in your face and um, uh, putting, you know, giving you a spiritual gut check. It's really funny how we start making excuses over our actions. We're really good at that. 
right? Well, it's not that bad. What were his excuses? How did he vindicate himself? First he said, Babylon is a little country. It's a, Look, I showed their ambassadors all my wealth, but what can they do? They're just a little country. They're just a little country. And um, Song of Solomon 2.15 says, Take up the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. For our vines have tender grapes. Listen, you're not just going to wake up tomorrow and have some big sin devour you. You understand that? No man or woman who's in a happy marriage that are doing all the things they're supposed to do, both by the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, wake up one day and end up just going off and having an affair all at once. You with me? No one wakes up one day and says, you know what, I haven't done any drugs my whole life. Let me go just do some hard cocaine right now. That's not how that works. No one who, uh, who is uh, even-tempered and cool and collected and a man of prayer just goes and buys a gun and just goes and shoots someone out of the blue. It's little foxes that spoil the vine. It's little sins that lead to big sins. And yes, uh, Hezekiah, Babylon is a little country, but that little country is going to turn into a big country and it's going to devour you. You know what? Um, it's the idea of, of getting a little pet tiger, a little pet lion as a baby. And you know what? That little pet lion as a baby, it can't hurt you. But when it grows up big, it's going to kill you. Right? And that's exactly what this is. Babylon is a little country, but as we know from history, Babylon didn't stay a little country. Then, what was the second uh, uh, way he vindicated himself? He said, Babylon is a long ways Away, long ways away. Turn over to Joshua 9. This is where we knocked off last week. I gave you the point we didn't really cover. Look at Joshua 9. Look at verse number 6. Quickly turn over there if you can. It's Bible study. Don't come to Bible study and not use your Bible. Alright? Some, you some of you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Get it out and utilize it. Alright? Joshua chapter 9. Don't be rebellious. Come on now. I'm looking at you. Joshua 9, look at verse number 6. All right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua 9. Here's the story of Joshua. Boy, he's marching through. He's conquering kings. He's taking them out. He's establishing Israel into the promised land. And then Joshua had a lapse of faith. He, instead of leaning on the Lord, leaned on his own understanding and made the same mistake that Hezekiah makes. Look here. And they went, verse 6, they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Preadventure, ye dwell among us. And how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. Joshua said unto them, Who are ye and from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard the fame of him. And all that he did in Egypt, they go on and show him the moldy bread and the wore-out shoes. It was, all a, it was all a hoax. They were just... Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation... Swear unto them, and it came to pass at the end of three days 
after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. What happened? Hey, we're from a long ways away. Come to find out, they were not from a long ways away. I think, uh, I think that a mistake a lot of times we make is, you know what, I can dabble in this and I can mess with this because the consequences are a long ways away. And listen, consequences being a long ways away, eventually that harvest is coming in. Eventually that train's coming into your station. All right? Eventually, to use a phrase my fifth and sixth grade grandma teacher used, those chickens are coming home to roost. All right? How many old enough to remember when that was a common phrase, okay? Those chickens are coming home to roost. Eventually, you're going to have to deal with those poor choices. You don't get... What did Moses tell Israel? He said, be sure your sins will find you out. You don't get to get away with this forever. He said, they're from a far country. Quickly, number three, notice Isaiah's prophecy. We've seen Babylon's plot, and we've seen Hezekiah's pride. Isaiah's prophecy. Go back to Isaiah 39, look at verse 5. Then, I, then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, and, all, and that uh, which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Letter A, notice, an analysis of the prophecy. An analysis of the prophecy. He says, one day Babylon is going to turn into a mighty nation. They're going to come in, and what Assyria can't do in conquering you, they will do in conquering you. They will take over this city. They will take all of your wealth. They will leave you barren. They will burn your walls. They will take the king's children into the palace and turn them into eunuchs, and they'll just be servants, castrated servants, in the house of, uh, of the king, and you will be left with nothing. What a statement. What a prophecy. Uh, what a sensational prophecy. Letter B, we see the accuracy of the prophecy. Take your Bibles to Second Chronicles 36. Notice he said that all that is in thine house, all that you have showed them, will be taken. Well, Second Chronicles 36 is a historical record of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Look at verse 18. Some of the saddest verses in the Bible as it pertains to Israel. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, look here, and the treasures of the king and, and of his princes, all these, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and brake down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons unto the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Hey, listen. 
God comes through on His promises. If you sin and think, oh, I got away with it. Hang on. If God promises He's going to punish your sin, He's going to punish your sin. He's going to punish your sin. We love to focus on God's promises when it comes to the good things, right? And we know that all things work together for them that are good, right? I'm, or I'm misquoting the verse here, right? But uh, we, we love that one, Romans 8, 28. Uh, we love uh, how that uh, uh, God promises that He's going to send joy and peace and mercy. But God is more than just joy and peace and mercy. God is just. God is a God of wrath. God is a God who hates sin. God is a God who will eventually, uh, you can run out His patience. He will kill your body to take you home to heaven uh, in order to get your attention. And He will chastise you to the point where you are back in line and obeying Him. And when God makes a promise in Scripture, He always comes through. Now, here's what I want to drive at before we finish the message tonight. Are you aware on a daily basis of how Satan is working on you. Can you... We talk about seeing the hand of God in our life, and that's important. I am not de-emphasizing seeing the hand of God at, at work in your life. But are you also able to see the hand of Satan at work in your life? Can you see how he's tempting you? Can you see uh, the wicked ways that lead to sin? Now, real quick, what is a wicked way that leads to sin? Let's say, for instance, that New Haven represented sin. All right? Now, to get to New Haven, I take some roads down here uh, through the heart of Stratford, and I get on exit 33 going north. They just opened up that, uh, that entrance. And you know what? I get on Interstate 95. Now, if I'm on Interstate 95 heading north toward New Haven, and I'm in Stratford. Am I in sin? Yes or no? No. How about when I make it to Milford? Am I in sin? Yes or no? No. New Haven, right? In this example, New Haven is not sin. All right, but just the example. I get to West Haven. Am I in sin? No, but I'm getting closer, aren't I? Right. Wicked ways lead to sin. You know how I stay away from New Haven? I don't get on the highway to begin with. You need to learn what highways are taking you to sinful behavior, and you need to get off of those highways to begin with. Because if Satan can't get you to New Haven like that, he'll get you on exit 33 to just get you on the highway heading that direction. And the next thing you know, a little sin turns into a little bit bigger sin, into a little bit bigger sin, and now you have fallen into sin. Because Satan is a deceiver. He is the father of all lies. He's seeking to tempt you and destroy you. Uh, and he will transform into any being necessary to try to pull you down. He'll play good guy. He'll play bad guy. He is at work in our life. And we need to be aware of Satan's tactics and we need not fall to them. Listen, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? We believe that tonight? I'm not one to get up here and talk about how Satan's lurking behind every corner waiting to just pounce on you and kill you. I don't think you need to live in that kind of fear. I think you need to walk in the Spirit. I think you need to put on the armor of God. But you need to be aware every day that there is a battle going on all around you, uh, in the air around you, and you need to be on top of your game uh, being aware of that and not let Satan get you. Identify where he's tempting you in your life and attack that. Number four, and lastly, notice Hezekiah's piety. Look at verse 8. This verse is perplexing to me. I'm just going to be honest. 
I don't really understand what was in Hezekiah's head uh, when he says this. Verse 8, Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Now there's a couple of ways to interpret this. The way it reads to me, I'm just going to tell you the way it reads to me, is Hezekiah saying, well, what happens in the future happens in the future. Whatever, Isaiah. You know what? There's going to be peace in my day. Whatever happens to my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, that'll be what it'll be. That's, that's how it reads to me. Now, maybe that's not what he's saying. Maybe he's just come to peace and accepted that God's will will be done. All right. So the word piety, someone says you're pious, that's usually, a, 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 that's usually meant in a way that's negative. In, in Spanish, the word is piadoso, which means that you're godly. So the word can go one of two ways, all right? Uh, I don't know if he is pious in a good way here or pious in a bad way here, but he's definitely acting pious. He's acting uh, pompous, right? Uh, well, it, it'll be what it'll be, but I'm going to have peace during my day, and so that's, that's, uh, that's what's important. Listen, I'll just finish with this. Satan wants you... He wants your marriage if you're married. He wants your future marriage if you're not married yet. He wants your children. He wants your grandchildren. Satan wants to destroy. And we need to be on watch, not only for ourselves, but for all of the generations that follow us. We need to make sure that we're setting the, the, the pace. We're, 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 setting, uh, we're living our life in such a way, setting the example so that Satan cannot get us. All right? That's the Bible study tonight. My admonishment to you as we go is be aware of the devil and his tactics. Do not be open uh, to falling to them. Don't watch out for the roaring lion, but also watch out for the slippery serpent. So that's Isaiah 39. Next week we begin Act 2 of the book. All right? Um, Isaiah has 66 chapters. We'll say more about this next week. It is a mini version of the Bible. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. Uh, there are 66 chapters of Isaiah. We just finished chapter 39, which is more law and punishment. The last 27 chapters of Isaiah are more about grace. And so it, is, it follows that model of God's Word. Uh, the New Testament opens talking about John the Baptist. Isaiah 30, 40 ta- opens talking about John the Baptist, a prophecy about him. So very fascinating. We'll get into that more next week. I sure hope you're here.